him, can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? This is the very word of God. And please be seated. You know, it's the job of the Christian to keep the name of Jesus in the public conversation. A difficult task, to be sure. And while Christmas time may be the easiest time to do it, I'm sure many of us find it challenging to engage others in conversations about the Jesus that we all at least think that we are celebrating in the month of December. And once the Christmas holiday has ended and the champagne bottles are uncorked for the new year, well, there goes the Christmas carols and the nativity scenes. At least we have Easter to look forward to as we try once again to talk about Jesus in public. You can talk about pretty much any historical figure you want. Tell your friends you have an intense interest in Aristotle or Caesar Augustus in Abraham Lincoln or Charlemagne, and somebody will engage your interest. Tell them you want to talk about Tom Hanks or Emma Watson or Taylor Swift, and off you go. But raise the name of Jesus and something strange will seem to settle over the conversation, if the conversation even gets off the ground. You know, in Jesus' own day, there was a time in which he was very much a part of the public conversation. Just consider what is said about him in John chapter 7, verse 12. And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, Nope, he's leading the people astray. You might even say today that his name was trending. Just imagine if there had been social media in the first century. By the time we arrive at the seventh chapter of John's gospel, Jesus has become quite the controversial figure, and so he remains to this day. In chapter 5, Jesus healed a man who had been an invalid for nearly four decades. Just imagine. But when he said things that made him equal with Israel's God, he had a bounty put on his head. In chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people with just five barley loaves and two fish. But when he claimed to be the bread from heaven who had come to give life to the world, Many of his would-be disciples had enough, turned back, and no longer walked with him. Just who is this Jesus? Who are we dealing with here? To answer that question, you might ask, where does Jesus come from? That's a question, in fact, that lingers throughout John chapter 7. 
Because in the ancient Mediterranean world, once you knew where a person came from, you were well on your way to truly knowing who that person is. Here in John 7, we see that there are three different answers to the question, where does Jesus come from? And in each instance, we learn something very important about who this Jesus is. Take a look first at verse 27. Some of the people began to wonder if it is possible that Jesus just might be the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, the anointed one of Israel, the Christ. But here's the problem, they say, with coming to that conclusion. This is Jesus of Nazareth. We know where this man comes from, they say. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. You see, the popular belief was that when the Christ appeared on the scene, when he was fully made known, he would come almost as it were out of nowhere. I don't mean he would drop out of the sky. The point is that he would largely be unknown until after he had accomplished Israel's redemption from the Romans or whoever else happened to hold the nation under their thumbs. But this was, this was just Jesus of Nazareth, quite an ordinary fellow. You might have gone to school with him, played ball with him. He might have even been your friend. John even tells us in verse 5 that not even his own brothers believed in him. That is, they did not believe that this one was the one that the world was waiting for, the promised Messiah, the Savior. After all, for all the things that he seemed to be able to do, for all the people who seemed to be attracted to him, he was way too unpopular with others. He was just like you and me. Some people seem to like us. Plenty of others seem to not be able to stand us. Jesus was too ordinary to be extraordinary. Jesus of Nazareth was far too human to keep one's hopes alive for long. The Jesus of history, the man from Galilee who lived in the first century in ancient Israel, is sometimes depicted as nothing more than a Galilean peasant. He's too human to save us, too human to give us what you really need. Isn't it ironic that we sometimes wish that God would be like us, but then when he became like us, we despised him for it. He manifests himself in the touch of another human hand, and we don't notice because it's just too ordinary. With Jesus, we need to take a look a bit closer. There's something more to him than meets the eye. Jesus was not only from Nazareth, that's where he was from, yes, that would have been his name, Yeshua HaNotzer, Jesus the Nazarene. But he was not only from Nazareth, he was, as you know, he was also from somewhere else. He was born somewhere else, and this is an important part of his story. If you ask me where I'm from, well, I'll have to tell you that I grew up in Kansas City, but if you know me very well, 
I'm going to hasten to add that I was born in Texas. Because as everyone knows, there's something important to a person's story if they were born in the Lone Star State. Look now at verses 41 to 42, and you're going to chuckle as well when you read these verses. The confusion about Jesus continues. Can he be the Christ when he comes from Nazareth, from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Now, if you're thinking, well, of course. Haven't they read Matthew chapter 1 and 2? Don't they know Luke 1 and 2? Don't they know the Christmas story? Well, that's exactly the point that John wants to make. He's putting us, the readers of his gospel, in a position like someone watching uh, Jeopardy. You're watching the game show at home, and you see this answer pop up. Although he wasn't raised in this city, this little town in ancient Israel is where Jesus was born. And you're sitting there shouting out, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, while none of those genius contestants seem to know the answer. Bonus question to all of you scholars. In which Old Testament book do we find the prophecy of where the Messiah would be born? You should know. We just finished studying it last week. Perhaps John wants us Bible geniuses to consider not just the answer, but its implications. Jesus is from Bethlehem, occasioned by the political action of a Roman Caesar and in fulfillment of the prophetic words of Micah. It's not just a neat prediction that came true. That's not what Bible prophecy is. God's not just doing neat little tricks, predicting the future some hundreds of years before it comes to pass. No, Bible prophecy means the fulfillment of a promise. The promise that God would do what Israel longed for him to do. He would restore the Davidic rule in Israel. Establishing it to be a kingdom of which the angel said to Mary, there would be a kingdom now which would never end. So, you Bible geniuses who know that Jesus is not just Yeshua HaNotsuri, Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus born in Bethlehem, then know what that means. If you believe in this Jesus, it means you must believe that in him, God has done what he promised at long last all throughout the Jewish scriptures, all throughout the Old Testament story that he would in fact do. In Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, God has at long last established on earth a kingdom, a kingdom that can never be toppled, a kingdom that will last forever. And yet there's more. At least in terms of what Jesus himself says in John 7, it's likely that his answer to the question, where are you from, would be neither Nazareth nor Bethlehem. Take a look at verse 28. Jesus said, okay, you know me, and you know where I come from. 
but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Where was Jesus from? Well, he was from the one who sent him. It's clear from the following verse, verse 30, that everyone knew what Jesus was here claiming about himself, and likewise, what he was claiming about those who thought they knew him. Jesus was claiming to know the God of Israel. Yahweh. He knew him because, he says here, he was sent by him into the world. But since there was uncertainty and hesitation about believing in Jesus, then notice what he was also claiming. He was also claiming that the God of Israel was unknown by those who were not prepared to receive Jesus in his full identity. To this very day, the problem persists. We come to faulty conclusions about Jesus because we have a faulty belief in God and his world. Jesus insists that if we want to know who God truly is, we have to begin with him. We have to begin with Jesus, see him in the fullness of his identity, and only then can we begin to rightly see who the true God is and indeed what his world is all about? You see, to this very day, people remain ignorant about God and the whole story of his world from Genesis to Revelation. Who is the creator God, if there really even is one? Is he good or is he evil? Can we trust him or is he a demon? Does he love this world, and is he intent on saving it, or does he hate his world, and is he determined to destroy it? How can we know the answers to these questions? You have to start with Jesus, and you have to keep coming back to Jesus. And when you do that, over and over and over again, you'll begin to finally understand what it is that we celebrate on this fourth Sunday of Advent. We celebrate the love of God. The love of God made manifest in Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, sent by God. Only when you start with Jesus and come back to Jesus over and over and over again will we finally be able to cherish in a fresh way the words of that famous verse in Scripture that I'm sure we can all recite together. Let's do it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let us pray. Father in heaven, here on the eve of Christmas Day, we worship you 
for the love that you have shown to the world in sending your son. When we see Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, fully human, ordinary like us, we see the one who was born in Bethlehem, the one who has brought at long last the promise of God into reality, into fulfillment, the one who was sent by God on a mission. It's not a mission to condemn the world because the world was condemned already, but a mission to save his world and all of us who will trust in Christ along with it. So on this Christmas Eve, open up to us afresh and new the wonders of your love, the wonders of your love, the wonders of your love. We see it in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, sent by God, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Jesus is our hope. He is love. He's the Savior of the world. And in him we pray, amen, amen.